0: action so you can get into a point where you're actually getting experience i think is is a premium 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 value and something that i think is really important to over index on early and then as you get that experience then you can over index on cash later that's how i think about it
1: this is the yield coach show episode 47 Hey everybody, this is your coach Ian Brown. A few announcements, Yield Coach Capital has opened its doors to investors looking to multiply their money while working with yours truly and our Varsity investment team. We recently closed our 170-acre Gainesville, Florida industrial track and our limited partner investors are on pace to make two and a half times or more on their money. That opportunity is gone, but don't miss the next one. Be sure to join our investor list and never miss a deal again. You can join our investor list by the portal, which is in the show notes of this podcast. It's in our Instagram bio link, and you can also do it at yield-coach.com. If you join our investor list, we will get you the free gift, 107 questions to ask a deal sponsor and a discount to our employee to entrepreneur video course, which is packed full of information and case studies to kickstart your investment success. Now is your time to take the field. I'm your host Ian Brown. Every episode we bring you dynamic entrepreneurs, real estate investors, thought leaders and inspirational guests ready to open up, share their story, the good, the bad, the ugly so you can learn lessons, gain advantages and accelerate your success. Very excited to have Mr. Johnny Wolf on the show today. Killer name, but in addition to that, he is the CEO and founder of HomeRoom, fast growing real estate investing platform. A little on his story, he had an unusually terrible Craigslist roommate Back in 2017, he converted a single-family home to a group home for his friends, realized the massive untapped potential for multi-tenant co-living real estate, and his company Homeroom was born. Homeroom now houses thousands of residents in hundreds of cities um, and hundreds of homes across over 30 cities, and they're on a tremendous growth pattern. Can't wait to hear more about this. Johnny, welcome to the show.
0: And thank you so much for having me. Big fan of your show. Really, I really love the name, Yield Coach. Super cool
1: we're doing what we can you know i think having guys on like you we're going to we're going to top, top uh, jump into some topics that are a little bit like alternative i would think and um but but also attainable especially through your company so i appreciate that and uh and i look forward to jumping into this how did you get into this unique sector of you know co-living i mean i know there's the Craigslist anecdote but let's unpack that a little bit learn a little bit more about you and the kind of the genesis
0: yeah. So I, you know, started my career in the Bay Area, which uh, is a great place to start your career. Just not a great place to live alone because no one can afford to do that. Even if you're making, you know, $300,000, it's, it's kind of difficult. So I had roommates for a number of years and I was also doing remote real estate investing um, starting in 2008 in, like in Midland, Texas. Um, so I was investing in real estate and I was living with roommates and, and the basically for seven or eight years. Moved to Austin in 2015 to invest more aggressively in real estate. Um, and I decided to combine those two concepts, real estate investing and living with roommates. So I bought a number of properties. I rented out each property by the room. I, I wanted to buy properties that were sort of the edge of like the where Austin was cool. You could tell that it was like going outwards because it was growing. And like at a certain point, if you went far, far enough out, it was just a little cheaper. You're like, why does it drop $100,000 like at this block and not this block? So I was buying right on the edge of that, that kind of growth. And, but it was still too expensive to yield as a single family home. So I rented out by the room to kind of create yield in these slightly nicer areas. And that worked out really, really well. I got the yield, um, the appreciation kind of caught up to those neighborhoods. Um, And I turned, you know, a few tens of thousands into like uh, hundreds of thousands uh, pretty quickly. And uh, my my friends were pretty jealous of how I'd invested. And so they asked me to do it for them. So I started a company essentially to help people buy properties, in slightly nicer areas than most turnkey providers would do and rent out each room separately. And so that's where we are today across a you know, number of markets in the Midwest and South. Um, we help investors make 50% more rent on average. And uh, by renting out each room separately in their homes. You know, it's interesting.
1: I think some of the best ideas are straightforward and simple, you know, um, I, you know, not that I, I don't really actually quote Warren Buffett very often. But, you know, if it's if you don't understand it, don't invest in it. And what you're talking about, I think really like it rings the common sense bell. You know, you, you take the pie, you chop it up into smaller pieces. In this case, it's a home being chopped into bedrooms and i don't mean literally chop but just your uh, the rights for the occupants and um it kind of reminds me of you know i i did this we didn't really call it co-living but we had i had randomly assigned roommates in college in an apartment complex it wasn't even technically student housing and they would just rent it by the bedroom every bedroom did have a bathroom that wouldn't i could see that not being a requirement ours did and instead of having a deadbolt only on the front door there were some locks on the interior doors And we shared a kitchen and we shared laundry and we, and we shared a television nowadays. I'm not going to age myself, but back then we didn't all have TVs in our rooms, but we shared a television. And I think the, um, I think it sounds like it wouldn't work, but man, I don't even know these guys. I mean, some of us, we're still friends now. So, um, what I'm, one thing I'm kind of getting at here is like on the common sense side, yes, you break it up, you make more per room than you would buy like the whole by the pound. Um, does this work? I mean, you were in Austin. That's a pretty cool, funky market. I've only visited there. I'm in a not so cool. I mean, I like Jacksonville, Florida, but it's not, I won't say it's nearly as cool and funky and edgy as Austin. Do you think this yeah. can work in most markets or or where are there markets you like to pursue where you know you might have like the profile of person to be that would be interested in co living?
0: Yeah one of the one of the things we found is that it's in a lot more cities than sort of you, you know, folks would naturally or expect um you know i started and i was living in san francisco with roommates everyone does it there because an apartment you know is like three grand for to live alone um and then i moved to austin and a lot of people were doing it there and then i moved to kansas city and that's where i started in homeroom and a lot of people were doing it there so i think if you live in sort of like san francisco you think of course but why would anyone do it in kansas city and the truth is you know if, Saving fifty percent on rent appeals to people in every city in the United States, so that's that's one of the cool discoveries we made. And part it was you know it was a little bit lucky because I just kind of was moving to chase where I thought the best place to invest is in real estate would be, which is Austin and Kansas City, and then I just happened to kind of reapply this rent by the room model there, and it continued to work. So that's Kansas City is actually where we launched the market. We have a number of homes in Shawnee, Kansas. Not Shawnee, sorry. We have in uh, Olathe, Kansas, which is like 50 minutes outside of the downtown Kansas City area. So it works in a lot more places than you'd think. There are areas that it does not work. It would definitely work in Jacksonville. Um, Some areas that it won't work are areas in which there's not any net migration and people don't move very much, right? So if it's a really small city and no one from any other cities moved to that city very often, it gets really difficult to do. Um, And so we've discovered that with a few cities and towns but I would say, uh, by and large, we're surprised how consistently it works in cities that most people wouldn't expect it to.
1: I definitely follow you on that on that net migration, and you're talking about the expense, the um, three thousand to live by yourself uh, in San Francisco. I have a brother-in-law up in well, he's most recently been in New York, and uh, I feel like nobody up there, at least in his demographic, is living on their own. Um, now these guys are you know pre I call them pre-family. <laughs> um, do you tend to find people, I mean, it seems to me, maybe I'm naive, it seems to me like you're going to have more of like your your young professional, maybe service worker, wh- whatever it is. I'm sure the demographic's pretty varied, but I would think pre-family, maybe post-family, but h- how does that play out?
0: Yeah, you're, you're spot on there. It's, you know, the average age is 28 at homeroom. So we we generally tend to weigh towards college students. We just, that there's definitely a niche for college student housing. It's a different niche though. And you have to like do different things and, you know, because it's more destructive, but you also, there's benefits and plus and minuses with co-living it's longer stays and you're dealing with kind of adults, which is really what we specialize on. We do have people in their fifties, sixties, you know, there's, you know, everyone's welcome in homerooms. We do want to make sure people understand that typically folks roommates are going to be in their twenties. So you have to be comfortable with that. Um, so yeah, it's pretty pretty varied. I think I think our oldest homeroom member, I think is sixty six right now, and the youngest is eighteen. So it's all over the board.
1: Interesting. So, um, what is an like an ideal property for homeroom? Like, like it's right in your box. What would you be looking for, and why?
0: Yeah, what's well, uh, you know, it's right in the box is a few things. We HOA neighborhoods are not friendly to roommate housing, so I would avoid those like The plague Um and for for a roommate house, um for a co-living property, we want to have two bathrooms um with showers and you know, two full baths because you're going to want to share the showers and that can become an, a challenge if you have, let's say, 4, or 5, 6 roommates. Um, we're generally looking for you know, We want to have a dining room and a living room, and then we're going to turn all the rest of the spaces into bedrooms. We're going to use, we're going to, you know, get them permitted, all that stuff. It's going to be legal, compliant. Um, But yeah, it's really about finding a property that's at a low enough price point, like any real estate investment, because if the price goes up, the yield goes down. And then it's going to have the way that the property is going to be laid out will allow it to become a five or six bedroom home, um, because that's really where you make you know, your hay in co-living is getting a few more bedrooms than you already have most of the time.
1: I don't know if you've ever run into this, but and it, it could have changed since I was in Tallahassee when I was at Florida State, but they had some ordinance. Someone will probably message me and fact check me on this, but I think at four or five bedrooms legally, of course, you could have like, you know, somebody sleeping in like a sun porch. But, uh, but legally, I think you were like capped. I want to say like at four. And let's say it was five just for this conversation. But do you run into markets where they try to restrict you on like a bedroom count? Uh, have, have you seen that?
0: Yeah, that's definitely something that is fairly widespread. The, you know, it's called you know, it's the zoning of what a family is really, right? So in most cities, not all of them, there are cities that do not have this. Um, there's uh, Round Rock and Pflugerville, north of Austin. They actually do not have, they just they follow the state law which is two people per bedroom and there's not no other regulation on it but a lot of cities have something where they say that a family can't be unrelated they have to be related by blood so a foster kid would and so we think you know we were we have like a legal team that's working on this we we don't believe these laws are really just but we all we have to like pay attention to them um, a lot of times we'll have dialogues with cities proactively about our use case. But it is something we're navigating we would say that some at some some small fraction of these homes will have city interactions and we'll be able to untangle them And some fraction we will not be able to so that that ends up being one of the challenges with this model um it's a little less challenging than than um short-term rentals the challenge with short-term rentals is the whole the city can just nuke the entire concept at one but we have yet to see a city that is willing to say unrelated occupants cannot live together at all. And so really it's sort of like in that margin in between that we're having discussions mm-hmm. An argument to them is saying, we're trying to provide affordable housing. And when you have a few more people, you get more affordable housing, which is exactly where you spend all your time in city council talking about. And, and they say, well, you know, and so we do it really well. We think about parking, we, we make sure the exterior yard care. So it's the nicest home on the block. We do all these things, and so when we've encountered some cities, you know Fort Worth specifically, we talked it through with them, right, and we were able to continue moving forward. So it's it's something that it's a long term thing that we're building our strategy there. But a few of our homes have issues like that, where the cities say you're over the limit, and we're gonna have to pull you back from let's say built you have six rooms, we're gonna have to pull you back to five or four, and we'll do that.
1: And so, in those circumstances, like like where I am, I I sit on the planning commission. I've been hearing applications for four years. Um, we do have like a group home designation, but I wouldn't think, I wouldn't think that's where you're even trying to go. You don't offer any rehabilitation. You're not transitional. So, um, but do you have to sometimes go before local planning and development boards and agencies to try to rezone or get variances or administrative relief for some of these properties?
0: Yeah, we, we don't, it doesn't, it doesn't typically get to that because these sort of code enforcements are really like re- by report only, right? Mm-hmm. It has to be a neighbor report. It's, you know, you on the zoning, like you, you're not going to, there's too many houses, right? to cover. So we, you know, what we do is we have kind of a playbook. If like a neighbor reports, we'll talk to the neighbor and then we'll talk to the city and say, Hey, this is an unrelated family. Here's kind of our legal argument to that. Here's how other cities have allowed, allowed us to do this. And if there's any things that you need us to do differently to make sure that this can continue as it is, let us know, right? We have video doorbells outside to make sure that the front yard looks nice, that parking's done well. Because in reality, most of these kind of you know zoning laws are because unrelated occupants are seen to behave less well than related occupants. And so what we're doing is just saying, hey, actually we think we're as good or better and so let's let's rethink about that. Mm-hmm. Now, typically, it works more more often than not.
1: And I do agree with you for the most part in most parts of the country, anyways. Especially on the code side, it's going to be complaint driven. So if you're a good neighbor and you don't have complaints, you're unlikely to have that phone ringing. Um, so sometimes you can just you know stay under the radar. Um, we routinely get applications before planning commission where someone's been in violation for like decades. They either did sure. or didn't know it, or they say they didn't know it. it. Honestly, sometimes that doesn't really matter. You can't always prove it. Um, but usually what gets them is they're trying to change their property, or they've picked up a new neighbor, or they've managed to irritate a neighbor. And so that kind of rings the bell. Um, all right. Sure. But kind of pivoting off of that, um, let's. I'm just thinking through. So I do have, at the moment, seven Airbnbs. Well, short-term rentals. But they're not all technically Airbnb. Um, Summer medium term, which is we try to do six months or more in the state of Florida. There's no short term taxes. If you go six months or more, uh, a lot of states have something similar. What type of what I'm getting at is what type of duration and term is somebody looking for, like if they're going to rent at homeroom and uh, what's their commitment?
0: Uh, in terms of the the tenants, we, we do a minimum of three months, but the average day has typically been between one and two years. So okay. we don't, we don't, you know, we don't do the month. We don't do the daily stay. It's not that's not what it's set up to be. Um, it's meant to be a longer term place. We actually just had one of our tenants we that moved in in May of 2019. She just moved. She just moved to buy her own house. So she's been there. She's been in there for four years. So it's it's they're they're longer term, and you know, as long as they, you know, it's as long as their roommates are good and we do our part, then people tend to stay quite a bit longer than the typical medium uh, stay uh, rental would be.
1: So you'll sign them on at 90. And this is two in the weeds, just say, Brown, uh, no, go pivot. for it. But you know, at 90, I'm just curious, you've got a blended house. And so if somebody comes and goes, if, there were, if this were in Florida, if somebody comes and goes under six months, under 180 days, that would trigger transient for tax, time. state and local, which is a little bit of mm-hmm. a let's be honest, a little bit of a bitch to even calculate remit. Um, You got DOR and you've got local jurisdictional taxes. It's just, and your accounting fees. So um, I'm just kind of curious, do you, do you ever try for six months or more? Are you in jurisdictions where you don't, it doesn't seem to matter. Like it's a a narrow question. I mean,
0: yeah. I mean, the the truth is, is like, we can do, we can easily offer six months or more. We're aware of the limits. Most of the cities we're in it's, 30 days, right? And we're not close to that. Okay. Um, and if we have any kind of converse, it's sort of, you know, there's some enforcement of ability as well, right? Once again, like these homes are, you know, the cities don't, they, they'll they have conversation with us sometimes, but it's not something that, you know, brings a lot of, a, we don't get a lot, of, a lot of attention. So, it, you know, we'll, we'll pretty much do three months minimum, but usually people are signing for a year. That's the most typical lease signing. And if we need to say, hey, we can't do three months for interns, then we just turn that off and switch it to six months. It's not a big deal.
1: Another thing that there's probably more for the audience than you, but we'll draft six months, nine months, 12 months, whatever it is, and have some kind of a breakup clause in there with a very reasonable liquidated damages. Um, I guess theoretically you could have none, but there might be some enforceability issue there technically. But that is another way through it. So it's like, okay, Susie, you say you want to do 90. That's our minimum. We want We want you to commit to six months, but after 90 days, you know, the the penalty is, you know, $20 to break up or something. And that would be, you know, it's just another, I've, I have a lot of, you know, I'm in Florida, you know, we have a lot of scrutiny, very high short-term rental revenue, a lot of positive migration and I'm on the coast. So I hear about this stuff all the time. And that is a common way to, attempt to sir it is it's a circumvention of sorts but I, I think as i speak through it right now i do tend to think if it's drafted properly it is legal and if it's done with the right intent it'd be legal but um i've definitely done mm-hmm. it on a 12 month with a walk away very small liquidated damages fee after 6 months um and so that's just uh just an idea there but you can you can do yeah, the same thing yeah it's just a, you bounce that off your legal depending on what you know part of the country you're in um, in the yeah, same- that's clever, man.
0: I, you know, a lot of the a lot of these kind of issues where, you know, the regulation, uh, um, you know, of all this these newer kind of uh, investment property types, it it lags so far. You know, you're like, we probably need to have like a reasonable conversation and like look at this, but like, you know, people need affordable housing now, and so the question is, is like, do you wait for the conversation? To ha- I mean, how do you even make the conversation happen if you're not pushing the envelope and pushing that to happen? So I think it's, I think doing things like what you're describing is, is, is the way to go. And, and eventually the conversation happens about, you know, how do you do this in a way that's, um, that's not quite, a, it requires so much creativity, right? And how do mm-hmm. we make, how do we make this work for everybody? So yeah, I well, like that the, idea. That's cool. Oh.
1: Yeah. And the good operators make it to where sometimes it just gets pulled off the books. You know, it's no longer in the code because, if everyone's sure. a great short-term rental operator and there's no party houses pissing off all the neighbors or your group, I shouldn't even be calling them group homes. I'm just, I said that, earlier. but your, your, your co-living homes aren't making anyone upset. They're well manicured. They're well parked. You're not blocking everybody. You're not noisy. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it just could be a non-issue that never even becomes a tall blade of grass. And, um, and then maybe people revisit the fact that there's even something on the books about it. Um, all right.
0: Yeah, so that's 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 our that's really our goal yeah. over the long term is to, for that to happen.
1: I probably got a little bit ahead of myself. Can you take us through? So your company, Homeroom, are you um are you you're buying and maybe doing light renovation or heavy placing um, tenants occupants and then selling the asset?
0: No, we never hold the asset. We will sort of we um we'll we'll get an investor. We'll say hey, you know, generally to invest with Homeroom, you're going to need you know, hundred grand because down payment for the home and then the rehab and then the retrofitting and furnishing. And, and you, you know, once an investor's like, I like conceptually what you're going to do and we'll help them pick a market. You know, one of the things we did at homeroom early is try to have multiple markets so that we're not trying to like, you know, we're trying to give people choice as well as like identify what their needs are. You know, what are you, what are you looking for in your investment? In my case, when I started investing aggressively in Austin, I was 32 and I really wanted to get my net worth to go from like nothing to like something and so I was looking for appreciation right and so some investors are in that looking for that others are looking for like a very stable down the middle cash flow home we find that you can do that it's hard to do certain markets just don't give people what they want so having multiple markets will help them pick the right market um and then we have an underwriting team that's kind of pulling every home that hits the MLS every day and We'll say, hey, you, you said you want cash flow. We have Indy. We have Atlanta. Those are kind of the ones we in Kansas City. Those are the ones we recommend. Here's like a home that uh, that arrived in this city that's going to hit your cash flow targets. And then they would buy it with what we have a partner agent in the market. Um, and then our team would retrofit it um, and do all the work and furnish it and get it set up and then lease it to roommates. So we're, we're kind of like your managed service provider throughout the whole process but we we won't buy and set up the home and then sell it to you,
1: okay. So the actual client, the owner, they're going to end up being the one funding the purchase with your recommended agent doing your recommended changes um and you will be the guide and I guess hands- on getting it getting it uh, leased up. Would it be like your own team doing the the capex or the the renovation work?
0: Yeah, we have a central team like they've you know very they've done you know, I think the team's done ten. They've kind of been overseeing of ten of ten thousand rehabs. of the, the one of the one of them was a construction manager at mine for a while. Um, so they're centrally leading, and then we have select partners that are doing the actual work. And that usually it's the same partner in each market. So it is our team and it is our network doing the work.
1: Great, and then so when it's all said and done, they own the property. You've set it up. It's renovated. They've used your people, and you know i I I can't imagine there's a guarantee, but I'm sure there's you're you're there for them and uh and they can hit the projections. So
0: yeah, we're just, we're you know yeah. doing doing our best to underwrite just just kind of like short-term rentals, right? It's you know, your single family rental, there's like a million points of data on what this property will rent for, and usually you're gonna be within like five percent or three percent or something. But short-term rentals and with co-living, the range varies a lot. We have homes that as a single family home, it was renting for $1,500. And then we just hit the jackpot and now it's renting for 3,200 with co-living. We have others that like do moderately better. Um, so that's sort of the, that's part of, you know, when you're doing one of these models that is innovating and doing things kind of like cutting edge, you get, you can get much bigger rewards, but it also has a little bit more variability.
1: Mm -hmm. I can totally attest to that. (laughs) And, um, yeah. So I, a house hack. So I I got a corner house and it's perfect for side access. And we fenced it in a way where the, we'll call it the Airbnb guest, but either way, the short-term guest comes in. I never see him, but that little 180 square foot studio, some months pays for the the whole damn house. I live in other months. It's a little bit, it, but it has seasonality. It has Monday through Sunday fluctuation. Um, now on, on the aggregate it's actually pretty reliable and predictable. But when you like compare that to just a traditional 12 month rental unfurnished, you know, the guy's got his own utilities, his own furniture, white walls go, you can kind of set your watch by that. Well, (laughs) maybe not with all the eviction issues during COVID, but generally those are pretty easy. Um, But I will say, you know, you talk about the upside 3,200 versus Uh, 1,500 in my example, I don't even know that there's a market to rent a 180 square foot studio in my city for, I, I cringe to think how uh, five, five bucks. And I don't mean who, I don't even know who would want to live down there long term. It's just too small. It's like a hotel room. Um, but people will pay $99 a night or more, um, you know, 15 to 20 plus nights a month. And all of a sudden you've got a property that I, I probably could not place a tenant in that might do 20, $600 a month to 180 square feet, you know, it costs like 15 grand to build out. It was, it was storage. So um, I love, I mean, that's an anecdote. I'm living it. And I, I now wherever I go, I'm like, I want a, a small, cool creative space because as you know, you're whether it's a short-term tenant or a long-term tenant, they're not going in with a laser and grid paper measuring your square footage and like calculating how much they're paying per month per square foot. Is it cool? Is it comfortable? Do I like the location? How far away from work? How far away from the grocery store? How far away from the bars and whatever? So depending on their lifestyle, that's what people have learned. Like it's been 17 years for me, but I've, I've come to the conclusion, people don't really care about square footage. They really care about layout, Functionality, location, price. And I think that's where you and I are speaking the same language. I see it big time in my mm-hmm. short term rentals. Nobody really cares what the square footage is if it's laid out mm-hmm. and in a good spot.
0: Yeah. I mean, we see the same thing and we kind of look at each bedroom as its own individual unit, right? And so there can be a hundred, 100, you know, a hundred square foot room, which is, you know, that's fine. It's, you know, there's some limitations on a square foot room. You, you, if you have a big bed, you maybe couldn't fit a desk in. But what we have found is that the dimensions of a room matter a lot more, right? So if you have a 10 by 10 room, that's the most ideal with like a closet um, that, that's sizable. Um, but if you had a, let's say, 7 by you know, 13 or what's the matter? yeah, 7 by 14 room, suddenly it's not as interesting to any tenant because like, how do I, you maybe your bed is taking up the entire width of the bedroom and you can't fit anything else in the room. So, we found that like square footage itself is not as not nearly as important as like you have to have at least this much width, right? In a room on, on, on each side, the width and height need to be a certain dimension. Otherwise, the room's gonna be marked down substantially. And so, that's something that we've seen obviously at a room level. And you're talking and kind of like what you're talking about.
1: Uh, you know, um, what type of you did give us one example, and I know there's many, many, many examples, but what would be a typical premium? Going from uh, single family dwelling to your co living scenario, um, revenue premium.
0: Yeah, you know across the portfolio, we see thirty five percent more. Um, there's variability, like I said before, but yeah, so thirty five percent more run is is kind of what we're going for. We're usually going to try to get fifty percent during the process, the underwriting process, um, but and then it will kind of land, it will kind of range in in each direction once it's kind of up up and running.
1: All right, I'm sure people are thinking this. All right, I would think they are, because we. I'm going back to my college memories. I feel pretty lucky. We all got along in that scenario that I mentioned a few minutes ago. <laughs> we did have one weird guy that just like locked himself in his room, uh, and we like never saw him. And it was fine, I guess. He like bought his own microwave and his own like like bigger than a mini fridge, like kind of a big fridge. Rolled it into his room, and he just like stayed in there. Um, what I'm getting at is how on average are these people doing like getting along how is that managing like the i'd call it like the human and social side of it and then how are you like in the placing of these people kind of how are you how are you dealing with that and managing that
0: yeah um that's definitely an aspect right and that you know with our you know with our property management uh, or with our kind of like we're kind of a or ma- a master tenant but like with our master tenancy it's definitely different that is something that we have like It's interesting that roommates in our scenario is like they're an amenity essentially. Like if we, when we think about it, like if you have a house with really good roommates, if you're the future tenants, like I'll pay a little bit more. I mean, I, I, maybe I'll get a friend out of that, which is like kind of invaluable actually. And then really terrible roommates, you know, I guess the guy that you're talking about is kind of like probably a negative, but not that much of a negative. Then you've got like really negative roommates who are doing things like, being messy, being loud, being inconsiderate. So, you know, we deal with that all the time. Um, but not, not as much as you'd think, right. A lot of roommates become good friends. Um, you know, a lot of roommates have issues, but we are able to kind of help them sort through it. We have like, we have a counselor on retainer if we need to bring them in, if things get really bad, but mostly it's, you know, it's enforcement of kind of like the roommate agreement. Um, you know, we have some fines that are available if things get out of hand. So it's just, it's just a bunch of checks and balances. And then we also have, because we'll have multiple homes within a city, if someone, if there's just a really, it's like both of these folks are, you know, good personalities to be in at homeroom, but they're not getting along personally. We can move someone to a different home. So there's definitely some interesting challenges that you encounter in this situation that you will not encounter any other property management. We had someone put a, I think a a gay pride flag in their front yard yesterday just as an example. And then an, another roommate did not like it. And we're like, and, you know, you're just going to like, oh, and we had never encountered that specific issue. And it also sounds, it sounds delicate. So, but our team handled it really well, right? It ended up being something that both sides ended up being okay with. But um, yeah, we do spend some time mediating and taking complaints about roommates.
1: I would imagine so, but um, sounds like it's probably it a lot of people are like oh ian with your seven short term rentals that must be like a huge pain in the ass setting those up and then not just the physical asset but the procedures and the rules and the and typing up everything within the different platforms verbo booking airbnb your own website all that yeah it is a little bit in the beginning but like you have such a redundancy in issues like i think if there's any short term rental owners or managers listening which i'm pretty sure there are access just, you just know going in, almost all the time. I bet um, over seventy percent of your questions are going to have to do with access, and so you you just know make access really idiot proof. Don't buy complicated locks. Make sure there are, you know, four fresh Duracells in that e lock <laughs> because. If you're down to one it's gonna die on that guy who's been pushing the same incorrect code for the past 45 minutes and just killed your lock while you're on vacation. Um, and now you're a little little bit SOL. So I would think yeah. like in I would think in your world, there's just a little, little more on the front. I'm not sure if it would rise to an Airbnb level, but because you have to get these people to get along. Like my guess. Don't have to get along with the guy like that is beyond the other door and the other door. You know they have they have their own kitchens, their own bathrooms, their own air conditioning controls, their own television stuff they can watch. So I I really am kind of fascinated on the on on that on that component of it. But it sounds like you guys do a wonderful job navigating it. I'm just envisioning some guy like naked eating cans of tuna fish with a tall <laughs> you know old Milwaukee and. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, it probably, it probably doesn't happen because why would that guy want to do co living unless he just likes to irritate people? But um, sounds like your your mediation team can handle it. <laughs> I'll,
0: just, I'll have to check my with my team if we had the the tall naked guy with tuna and 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 a, and a, and, a, and uh, yeah, I'll have to check if that's happened. <laughs> I, I, you know, like a lot of stuff that we never imagined could have happened has happened for sure. Um, I had a friend who did insurance for for Uber. He's like at a certain scale. Like every nightmare scenario happens, but also kind of every like dream scenario, like like an Uber driver marrying their passenger, like things like that happen. But on the other edge, the stuff that I think we all know about, but I'm not going to go into dark things and terrible things happen too. So it's just, it's just more of humanity in different ways. And it's, it's kind of like what you talked about. Like you've got to understand how you manage your processes. You have to understand where things can break down and you got to like kind of reinforce those pivotal moments and points. Um, because if you have a failure point that, you know, can become a negative experience for the person, then it just becomes, it starts to spiral and then you end up doing way more work. You know, for example, if your person can't get into their Airbnb because the battery dies, then suddenly you have an angry person on your hands. Instead of doing seven messages, you do 50. Right. And so now it's way more work because of the failure point. So that's something that like, we've continued to evolve over time, um, um, and every year there's more of those things and that we keep learning and growing in. And so it keeps getting better and better. That's awesome. Um, I do
1: I do like to do like a sample deal. I feel like we've kind of tiptoed around a couple. Um, mm-hmm. Do you mind? So usually what I ask in the Coach Brown breakdown is, and I can repeat these, a, a sample deal, assuming that I have a, an investor guest and in I think you definitely qualify, but how you find them, how you fund them, how you fix them and how you exit. Um, we did talk about the one scenario and how you place your people in the beginning. It was just you, like you said, going to Austin, building your portfolio, kind of having some of these epiphanies, but, um, take us through, if you would a sample and, and again, it's finding it, funding it, fixing it and exiting it. I can, and I can repeat that.
0: Yeah. So, you know, we, um, I'll do it the way that let's say it's Homer managing this one. Cause there's a couple ways you can get a, a. a co-living property or a homeowner property is you could find it yourself you can underwrite it but i'm just going to show say how we do it because yeah i think there's some best practices in there that could work for both sides and and i'm more familiar so in our case we would say you know we 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 have an investor come in and we say you know this is what we do there's more capex up front you know and it's a unique model there's some risk um but so if that's interesting you let's go to the next stage the next stage is okay what type of investor are you Are you like really trying to maximize your cash flow? Are you trying to get a little bit, you know, you're trying to get in a market that's got some growth, Florida, great market for that. Um, Or are you trying to get a market that really is like premier and that, that, uh, I feel like we think Austin and Dallas kind of are there and some Florida markets where the net migration is, you know, it's leading the pack and your appreciation potential. It just, we just think is way above average. Um, Usually in those markets, you have to pay a bit more though, because of the shortage of housing supply, and and all the, all these things right so we'll identify what type of investor you are then we'll pick a market so let's say you want a bit of both so we're going to go to dallas um so then our team our, our you'll you'll talk to our all this would have been with our investment advisors um they will then start to look for deals specifically for you that match your criteria and then they'll start sending you deals that are underwritten we have a tool that will kind of like do all the math this is the down payment this is sort of the setup and the repairs, and this is going to be your yield and your. We think your long-term IRR, um, and you'll make an offer with our partner agent, and then you'll you know get a during the inspection period. We have a, our construction team will review the um, inspection and say, hey, you know, we actually we thought it would be this much to repair. It's actually going to be less, or it's actually going to be more. Additionally, now that we've done actual measurements to the bedrooms that we're going to be adding, it's going to be a little bit more or a little bit less, it goes both directions. We usually are pretty close on that second underwriting where we've actually been the house and we're under inspection. Um, and then once the property closes, we will our team will deploy the contractors. Um, and we, we'll do the smart technology that enables all of it to work. Um, and then we'll have our interior designer go in and set it up as well as the kitchen and common areas. And then usually that construction setup phase after close will last 30 to 40 days. Um, and then the property will be fully set up and then we'll start and we'll lease it before, like well, even when it's under contract, we're starting to get leads for leasing it. Um, one thing I think I skipped here was sort of like the way the, kind of the numbers, let's say it's a Dallas property, probably gonna, you're probably gonna look at something that's gonna, depending on where in Dallas you wanna buy, it's probably gonna be about 300,000 to 325. Um, we're gonna look to try to get somewhere close to the 1% rule in Dallas. It's It's, that's really good in Dallas and not really possible in most single family rentals in Dallas. Um, so we're going to try to get 3000 in rent or something like that. So you try to get a cash yield in a Dallas market with the interest rates today in the four to 5% range with an IRR looking long-term in the 20 to 25% range. You, both those numbers used to be much, much better. <laughs> like two years ago, they were much better, but you know, just like everyone else, we've been compressed by interest rates. We've been compressed by the rapid appreciation. Um, once the property set up, we'll lease it, um, um, and that's a period where we'll have numbers for what we think each room will rent for. You know, our team will go in and even look at pictures. They'll compare it to other comps that we have on the platform and other rooms that other people are renting on in other platforms. And but the truth is, until you list it and actually it's available, you're not going to know how much you're going to get. So we're going to then fill the room based on demand, and we'll either increase the price or lower the price. Um, and then it'll be then it'll be stable, and that usually takes you know, from closing three-ish months, but it can be way faster. Sometimes we'll have homes fully filled within like two weeks. Sometimes it'll be four to six months as we try to like figure out the pricing. Um, and then you'll have a property that will perform really well. The nice thing about a co-living home is you're gonna get more rent, um, you know, vast majority of the time. The other thing is that you'll have a lot more income stability because you'll be turning rooms, not whole homes. So if you lose, let's say you know, one or two tenants and you have six bedrooms, you're still getting rent from four. So that, that ends up being a really nice kind of, it's a, kind of an evergreen performing asset, sort of like an apartment building. So that, that's kind of it. And you can eventually exit. We have people that sell these homes to other um, investors who are looking for a co-living home and they like that it's already set up. Um, or we'll have people convert it to a single family home at some point for whatever reason um, and sell it that way. Um, So those are kind of the two ways we've seen people eventually exit. And so far, the folks that have bought with us and exited have done quite well.
1: No, I I like that you brought up and thank you. That was detailed. And I like that you brought up the analogy to apartments, which is um, I've kind of been all over the place in my in my career and background. But um, the apartments were really, really were good to me. And one of my favorite things about going multifamily, um, the first one that I bought of any significance was 20, uh, 28 units. And um and I had another eight and a three I ended up having about 40 units relatively close to each other in Jacksonville but this 28 was the what's this concrete bunker hurricane proof two-story 1965 construction um that thing you just I knew when I bought it at at the time now again these were Rosier days this is like 2018 uh, when I say rosier there was still a lot of appreciation left in the market still very low rates that ended up getting even lower but Uh, when I bought it, you know, I was at 50% of replacement costs. And I knew like at just about 55% occupancy, I was going to break even. And so, but to your point, if you buy, and and that was really, that was a bit of a unicorn stacked a few more unicorns down the road. But in your example, what I like is it's not a, it's not like binary, like one or zero, you know, it's not like this house is just, okay. I either get my $1,600 a month or I get nothing. And in addition to nothing, I need to go pay an eviction attorney and get this joker out of here in Florida, 30 days would be fast. So um, in other areas, Mm -hmm. it's pretty good for Pennsylvania. They may just live there in other areas. (laughs) Um, So yeah, yeah, might as well just deed it over. Um, No, but anyway, we learned
0: learned recently in Pennsylvania that, you know, an eviction takes about 10 months. And I was like, I think we're going to, we're not going to be in Pennsylvania anymore (laughs) for investors. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I think the diversity within, and like, you can't go buy, well, not today. <laughs> there might've been a time when your price point, call it, let's just call it 300 grand, 350. That might've got you a small apartment back in the day. I mean, you might be able to go pull like a little eight unit somewhere. Um, maybe, you know, I, I mean, I, I found them, I got an eight unit for like, 222 back in the day but um those days are gone but the point is you almost get like the the diversity benefit you know like the uh the apartment benefit the non-binary benefit of doing this in a single family home at a price point that's attainable and let's be honest financing investment houses i mean not that like it's one of the easiest approaches it's not you're going out and getting like commercial underwriting for an apartment which I i think that's also attainable and reasonable but i i mean the house the house the housing loans are the most available so i think that's also a nice Mm -hmm. a nice benefit so no i've really i've really enjoyed diving into this uh i think we unpacked quite a few things um if somebody if somebody wanted to um if somebody wanted to invest with homeroom invest with you um what's a good way to get a hold of you
0: yeah i mean livehomeroom.com um you know, that uh, backslash invest, you know, that's kind of breaks down some sample deals. It'll kind of walk through the process. Although I, on this call, I've done it really in detail. So I don't know, maybe you need to read that. But um, yeah, and then you just reach out to us and you'll be able to self-schedule a call with one of our team members right there. Uh, you can also email me at, at com. I'll have people um, email me about how to run their own rent by the room property and I'll do my best to respond. I usually do. Um, You know, it's how I got started. And it's, you know, it's a uniquely uh, fun, challenging, exciting kind of way of doing rentals. And so I I like to engage with folks that are house hacking or doing something similar.
1: Awesome. Um, I I like to ask people if you have something, if you had a uh, kind of a single piece of advice for that, for that eager entrepreneur, what would it be?
0: Yeah, it's really stage. It's really stage. I, I guess my, my my thing is sort of like um, knowledge and experience is currency. And so, you know, for that, and let's. this is sort of for the first deal, because you mentioned that a lot of your folks are sort of, you know, in the bigger pockets community. I think the first, second and third deal are not the deals that, you know, really get you there. It's really like You want to, each time you approach kind of your first, second or third deal, or even further down the road, you you want to work really, really hard to get the best when you can. I'm not saying not to do that, but I think, you know, maybe you'll hit a home run, but more likely you'll hit like a single, like no matter how much work you do, because you just don't know what you're doing. You can't like get to like expert level investing, you know, even if you're like really focused. And so I think a lot of the learning has to come after you have a property uh, that you own or maybe a second or third one. And so that time of owning a property is really the the, kind of the most valuable knowledge because then you're like okay now i'm actually seeing some patterns now i can build like a more a strategy that's not based on like a bunch of posts that i'm reading you know we see investors coming all the time they're like you know i you know i I heard i'm supposed to get 13 percent cash on cash and like and it's like okay like you you know you got to get in and like do it to feel like the constrictions and the choices and all the complexity and then understand how to manage and vet and all that so action so you can get into a point where you're actually getting experience I think is is a pre- premium premium value and something that I think is really important to over index on early and then as you get that experience then you can over index on cash later is how I think about it
1: no that was a great answer and I think that um you know here we are in like an educational format and I've I've learned a lot myself through, through both podcasting and receiving information through podcasts. But to your point, I can read all I want, take in all the stimulus I can on owning, uh let's say co-living, let's stick with, stick with your topic. But by doing it, ideally with the the help and guidance of someone like yourself with homeroom, well, now I'm going to know. Here's what it's like to like go to the property, walk it. Here's what's in the inspection. Here's who's going to fix it you know here's where my tax bill goes here's who here's who's going to repair my roof here's here's what the house rules are going to look like where they're going to be posted how we're going to manage this you're just not you're just not going to get that experience and you're trying to get to wisdom eventually and you can't get to wisdom what would you say you got to index the experiences or over index them and so i think that's uh i think that's well said and uh good takeaway
0: all right yeah, johnny I mean, you just yeah. yeah you just got you just got to get you yeah uh, You'll be able to make great decisions. It's just really difficult early. And so you, you make the best you can. And then you just, but just be a sponge for learnings. I think that's where that's the most valuable for sure. Just mm-hmm. like you said.
1: Keep an air of humility about yourself and sponge and go. Um, this has been great. I've appreciated your time. I know the audience has well. For all those listening, please be sure to follow, rate, and review on whatever platform you're enjoying this show. It makes a huge difference for us and allows us to bring you better and better content. If you're into socials, we're uh, Yield Coach on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and we frequently post a bonus content, inside looks, and stuff about our personal and professional pursuits. But for now, guys, that is a wrap on this show. I'm your coach, Ian Brown, signing off and reminding everyone to lace up and leave it all on the field. Yield Coach, out.